This episode is brought to you by Indie Insights. Indie Insights is our bi-weekly newsletter and love note to the film industry, movies, and the creatives that make them, not to mention you, our esteemed listeners. Inside, you'll find curated industry trends, articles, exclusive commentary, and underappreciated films from filmmakers like you worldwide. And the best part is that it is completely free. So join today at www.bonsai.film. It takes just a few seconds. And once you sign up, you'll get the very next newsletter on Friday morning. It's that simple. Go to www.bonsai.film to get Indie Insights, our bi-weekly newsletter, and join a network of film creatives just like yourself. And don't worry, we'll never sell your information or spam you with a bunch of nonsense emails, just the bi-weekly film industry goodness you need. And if you ever tire of Indie Insights, simply unsubscribe. No gimmicks, no games. So go to www.bonsai.film to get Indie Insights for free. You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps creatives in film get where they're going faster by sharing the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives across the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. Hello, hello, Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast, and this is an Indie Talk Week, and that means I would normally have my co-founder and good friend Nicholas Bugs with me, but he is on vacation. And so, while he is out, who do I have with me? None other than writer, actor, director, all-around great guy, Matt Williams. Matt? Say hello. Aloha. That was for <laughs> Nick. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't want to say where he was, but I guess you kind of gave it away. Oh, my bad. I honestly, I didn't know if he was actually there, but he sent a picture of him wearing an Aloha hat. So he's on the beach at least. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think his shirt said Aloha. Oh, well, whatever. Dude, was he wearing a hat and a shirt that said Aloha? Yeah, I'm, I don't know. I don't know. I was, I was looking at his background. That's too many Alohas. There's a cap on how much shit you can wear. Like, like you can't have, like you can't have a Hawaiian shirt that also says Aloha on the chest. Dude, he is. It's, it's like, it's too much. He is. He's wearing a shirt and a hat and they both say Aloha. <laughs> I just pulled the picture up. <laughs> i used to have a friend of mine and bless his heart he's a he's a he is a friend he's a nice guy so if you're listening to this don't get butt hurt but he used to come into the all he he got a mercedes like a 550 coupe or something like that and when he silver it was badass 
And when he got it, he used to wear a Mercedes Benz cap. No. Everywhere he went. <laughs> it's, it's like Joey on Friends buys all the Porsche gear. Yeah, he yeah, yeah. so he had he's just walking around and I guess there was a time where that wasn't, you know, front full frontal douchery. But <laughs> but it but it it has become that. Like <laughs> yeah. like I, I I haven't needed a friend to tell me not to buy Tesla clothes. <laughs> like and, and if I do, if I do buy it, just know that I'm like um in some charity that they're sponsoring or something like that. If if I do wear it like to a festival or something like that, feel free to knock it right off my head if it's a hat or you know, start <laughs> ripping it off my chest or give me a jacket or a hoodie to like cover up the the situation because you know it, well, you're an early adopter, you're just trying to make the stock go up. Yeah. By buying well, the merch. <laughs> that'll need my help. But it's um yeah, it's 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 funny. So he maybe he did that on purpose, knowing Nick, because he likes he kind of like uh, you know he'll he'll purposely hit you with something corny. Uh, <laughs> on, and so he, that was probably that's probably what he did. You want to know one more thing too? He's given yes. the uh, the what is it? The hang hang loose like the pinky and the thumb. He was <laughs> given the hang loose. Is that what it is? <laughs> <laughs> that we're going to call that a triple Aloha triple Aloha. And for a guy who doesn't swim, <laughs> no idea how to swim. Really? No, I'm just kidding. He does not. <laughs> I, hey, some people don't, I don't know. Hey, yeah, a lot of black him. folks don't, a lot of black folks don't. We don't ever since you guys brought us over here in those ships, we don't fuck with the water. I, <laughs> I guess I can't blame you. I, <laughs> I, I, what do you mean? You guys. <laughs> uh, uh, well i tell you what if there's any black guys out there named williams you know right where to look <laughs> yeah <laughs> that one's my that one's on me yeah that's that's your family buddy no i'm just I'm that's just, my family i'm just kidding it wasn't you it wasn't you now are you drinking anything tonight by the way uh yes it is a Spindrift sparkling water. What do you think about Spindrift? I'm a big LaCroix guy. You saying Spindrift, I like a Spindrift. It's equivalent. I've heard it's kind of nasty. I think so. I have found one that I uh, like more than anything else or any LaCroix. And this is, um, what is it? It's tea and lemon. Okay. I'll so try. it's kind of, it's kind of a very light iced tea with five calories. I've, I've never tried it. Uh, I tried that brand. I will try it. Yeah. My, I mean, you know, my wife gets stuff and I, I, I drink it. That's, yeah. that's about it. Yeah. But yeah, no, uh, alcohol free this weekend, uh, was a little, you know, we went, we went a little hard this weekend. So, uh, throughout the week we're we're staying with Spindrift. I like that. Look at you being responsible. I'm going to be off alcohol too, probably for the next 10 days or 20 days. So this is my last night of drinking. Of course, I, I really mostly just drink red wine. I'm having, uh, I've talked about this before on the cast. This is the red Fox red from, uh, Arrington vineyard, uh, here in Tennessee. It is red wine aged in bourbon cask. And oh, you've told me about that. Yeah. Yeah, it is good. And, uh, so nothing French tonight, but this, uh, is one of the best, maybe unknown, hidden, hard to get wines. If you're outside of this state that, uh, 
you can get. I mean, look at the legs on this thing. Um, so it's, 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 it's really the games on that name. Oh, let me tell you a story about LaCroix that most people don't know. If you ever pick up a LaCroix and look on the back and look for the ingredients, it will say carbonated water, natural flavors or natural essence and nothing else. It'll say, and nothing else after it. The cans, if I'm not mistaken, it says, and nothing else, or just that, something to that effect, okay? It used to not say that. Do you know why that's added at the end of the ingredients list as of maybe the last three years, two years? I'm going to guess some kind of FDA regulation. Good guess. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Tell me. But no, their stock was trading at over, it was just soaring. It was starting to go through the roof. It was trading at over a hundred and I think $30 a share between a hundred and $130 a share, which is remarkable for a new company selling sparkling water. And as you know, in the stock market, you can have people who are buying your stock because they're bullish on you. And you can have people who are shorting your stock because they are bearish on you. And as a short, you stand to lose a ton of money, so much more money than you would if you just held a stock and it went down, right? So a lot of times a short seller is incentivized to manipulate the stock in whatever way they can in order to get the outcome they need to get, meaning a strike price at the maturation date, right? So at a date that they said the stock should be at this price, if it's not at that price, they can't sell, you know, their warrants or coupons or whatever. I think it's warrants back into the market. So anyway, that's kind of like the, the fear. And so some short seller grifter had a story published that there was rat poison in the water. No, that yes, that rat, that, that, that rat poison was somehow getting into the water. Their stock plummeted. They, their CEO came out. This is bullshit. This is not happening. This is not real. And ever since then, they have put that phrase at the end of their, their ingredients because no way. Yeah. A short seller put out a fake article that said, (laughs) Basically, drinking this over time is going to kill you. So, it's a wild, wild world out there in the world. Wow, my friend. Yeah, that's why. That's why I got out of the game years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I, I listen. I'm in the game, pretty deep, but I did get out of gambling. I used to be a degenerate gambler. Back when you mean like blackjack craps gambling, like that kind of gambling? No, sports, even worse. Okay. Baseball gambler. Okay. The worst sport to gamble on of all time. I I remember gambling one day on a parlay of baseball games. And when I tell you not one game went my way, every team that was favored lost. (laughs) Uh, Like, what is going on with baseball? And I realized... To be a good baseball team, you just need to win about 100 games. That means you lost 62. Yeah. You know, you you lose a lot in baseball and you're still good. 
Yeah. And even though I knew that, I failed to realize the impact of that when you're gambling. And here I am, a waiter at Applebee's in my early 20s. And all of a sudden, I'm in several thousands of dollars to this guy who wants to break my legs now. And oh, you were you were bookie deep in gambling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I I paid him. You know, I paid him off with money that I got from tips, but also with money I'd won gambling on college football. Was it college? It was college or NFL. I think it was college. So I was a lot better at gambling at college football than baseball. But the baseball experience, coupled with the bookie experience, really soured me on the whole experience. Yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So the Vegas experience is still, I'm still cool with it. Oh, gotcha. You've got self-control. You You can sit down at a table and and get up after several hundred dollars or whatever. Yeah, because you set rules for Vegas if you're smart. So you say, we're going to Vegas. I'm setting aside $2,000 to gamble. To gamble and have fun. That's my, right, think of it as going to a show or something. Right. And no matter how much I'm up or how much I'm down and the 2,000 is gone, you stand up and walk away, right? Like we're not mortgaging or we're not gambling our mortgage. We're not leveraging any car notes. We're not throwing our Rolexes on the table. Like, like none of that shit. Right. That is what a degenerate does. So, so Vegas is okay with me. I also like the people watching in Vegas. Oh God. Yeah. I watched a guy lose 30 grand in roulette and then win 50 back on the very, very next roll after begging his friend to cover him for the, for the 30 plus the bet. And you could tell in the urgency in which he was asking his friend to bail him out that his entire life was on the line. Like that was a kid's college fund or something. It was his marriage. It was his kids. It was his family. It was his plane ride home. (laughs) Like it was everything. And so, Everybody, he's got a whole group of people around him and everybody is kind of freaked out. We are on pins and needles. The pressure is so thick. It's tangible. You could cut it with a knife and the friend who's on the spot and doesn't want to, it's crazy. The social pressure that happens because the friend probably would have told him no, if we weren't standing there. Sure. But we're standing there, you know, he's got to pull his big dick out. Right. And so he's going to say, okay, I got your 30. So he covers 30 plus the bet plus the money for the, for the, uh, I guess dealer, right? Cause you put a little money for her or him in the hole before she spends the will. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to pay for the bet, your debt plus a little in the hole. They roll it. I cannot believe it. He, he hits. Everybody goes crazy. Oh Yeah. Like a Hail Mary in the fourth quarter of a Super Bowl. <laughs> and I've never felt a feeling like that, even during sex. Like, I've never <laughs> felt anything like that collective energy all happening at one time. Because we want... Some people were teary-eyed. Because the energy was too heavy, Matt. Like, right. Like, they, had, like they were going to cry. Like, this guy's life was saved. He won. It's like... Like to be so lucky because it was nothing but luck. Sure. And it was an amazing feel. So yeah, especially I'm down, roulette. That's just a luck game. Yeah. 
I'm down for Vegas for that. I'm down for having lunch in the sports book and watching people lose their money and win their money in the sports book. That is a great time. So you're really into the spectator sport of, of gambling, watching other people. I love people watching in general. Yeah. So when creatives ask me to go to coffee, cause that's like somewhere it's shifted Matt, where we stopped asking people to lunch and now we ask them the coffee. So I now only get asked to coffee and never to lunch. So like I set up where that is going to lunch, but it's always coffee. So we go to coffee and I'll say, I only have two requirements. One, the coffee has to be exquisite. Yeah, Please, you're, you're no a bit of a snob. acidic, bitter doo-doo. No, <laughs> we don't do that. We're life's too short. And two, the people watching has to be incredible. <laughs> like I need the situation around me to feel right, to boost me, you know, all that stuff. Like, let's go. So let me introduce the audience a little bit to who you are. Of course, there are some people listening to this that have listened for a long time and know you from the two interviews you've done on the Make It podcast. Uh, They know you personally, perhaps, and some of the work you've done. You uh, just recently directed and wrote a short film named Gateway, which is in the festival uh, circuit now. Well, the application circuit, yes. Or the applications. Yeah. You know, pretty new stuff. Uh, and you've been around doing this a while. Um, I think the update maybe on you and, and please, I'll, I'll stop talking and let you elaborate on this. The update on you is that now your primary focus is writing and not acting or directing and that you have moved to LA. So add anything you want to that. And then please feel free to tell us what we should know about, like, like what do we get wrong or assume wrongly in general about moving to LA to make it as a writer? Interesting. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, yes. The first thing you said is true. I, uh, a lot of people probably from this podcast and from the Nashville film community would know me as an actor cause I was in a few things, uh, especially local things. And, and, um, but I started writing maybe six years ago, five or six years ago. And it started in, in Nashville to write stuff that I could either make or, or have someone else make that I could star in, which is, you've talked about that a lot on this show. And, uh, we've talked about that a lot is make your own thing. And in Nashville, it's very doable that's how I started. I ended up just falling in love with the craft and, uh, and yeah, it's acting started to become, it started to feel like homework. Hmm. Auditioning started to feel like homework. And what everyone says about writing is I, there's a famous quote and I can't remember who said it. It's writer. And, and he said, being a writer is signing up to do homework for the rest of your life. And I never felt like that. I felt like acting was. Yeah. 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 Uh, writing was an escape and it was, uh, you know, my, my imagination had places to go. And I also love the nuts and bolts craft of it, of, of putting together a story and story development. And around that time and around, you know, uh, 
as I started writing and developing stuff for myself, I went, you know, I, LA is, is the place, right? I, I had always kind of wanted to live in LA. Mm-hmm. I'd found a home in Nashville, still consider Nashville a home, but LA was always it. Cause if you want to, if you want to swim with the sharks, you go to the ocean. Yeah. I don't know if that's an actual saying, but <laughs> it sounded, you, you get what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> you know, if, if you want to, if you want to do it, you go where it's done at the highest level. That's what I've always thought. Yeah. So then, you know, life happened for a few years. I met my wife, we bought a house, we did the marriage thing. I mean, the wedding thing. Um, and so just, and then, you know, 2020 and something happened in 2020 that puts some stuff on hold. <laughs> <laughs> so it was this year, it was March of this year. We'd finally, uh, we finally decided to make it happen. My wife's in music. Uh, she's a manager and I'm obviously in film and TV. And we said, you know, it's just a perfect spot. I've always wanted to do it. I would regret it if I didn't try. Yeah. And so we, we made the jump in March of this year. So we, uh, yeah, it was, it was nuts. I mean, I can tell you story after story of the moving process and how we found our, our place and everything. And, um, you know, there's probably a, another time and a place to do that, but it's, um, it still feels like I'm brand new here. And that was, yeah. you know, a few months ago, we're still, I'm still figuring out the city. How many and, months has it been? Has it been like uh, what's, six? What, is it six uh, or five? What's what's March till August? <laughs> five, I guess. Uh, yeah, um, coming. Yeah, coming up on six. Uh, and we were we even traveled to like a couple weddings and back to Nashville and stuff for almost a full month. So we even left for almost a full month too. It's been a whirlwind, man. Um, but I love it. I love it here so far, and I I you immediately get a sense that, yep, if you want to do it, this is where it happens. Yeah. You immediately get the feeling of, I don't know necessarily about competition, but this is where the best people on the planet go to do this craft. Do you think that I, I was always wondering, would that change after COVID because of everyone becoming default zoom meeting sort of default writers room on zoom default work remote. Like, like what is the, what is the importance of being there if those meetings can happen and everyone's comfortable with it happening on zoom. Now I say that. And just yesterday, Apple is requesting that all their employees return to the office. And I, I would say that they are sort of willing to deal with whatever backlash that causes and whoever they lose as a, you know, as a consequence, because as employees, like when you're an employee of a place, you always think you have more power than you do. Oh yeah. You you always think, well, we're going to stand up for the people. And it's, it ends up being a, Oh, and at a place like Apple, come on. Yeah. It always ends up being a very Jerry Maguire moment where you're (laughs) standing up for the right stuff in the right causes 
And then you look around and realize no one's coming with you after all that solidarity and like being probably in 10 other meetings where everyone just agreed to stick together. And they're like staring at you like, uh, you know, on second thought, I kind of like this six figure salary at Apple. Yeah. Uh, as it turns out, comfort getting, zones are there for a reason. Yeah. And then you're screaming, well, who's coming with me? <laughs> nobody's coming with you. So I, what, what do you think about that? I mean, is, is, is it still, you think necessary to like, what's the minimum? Do you need to move out there or do you need? Well, to I tried to do that a bunch from, of times uh, a year. Yeah. Well, I tried to do that in Nashville and uh, the only people I got to come with me was my wife and my dog. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> um, listen, nothing in corporate America. It's, it's probably a little different because of working from home is, is easy to do in a lot of jobs. Yeah. My wife still has her job in Nashville. For example, I still have clients in Nashville for my side hustles. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing in the industry, in the film and TV industry, uh, there, there's no replacing chance meetings right. in person. Yeah. It, you just need it. Um, yeah. and that, I mean, that goes to a lot of creative endeavors. The person who might be in front of you in a coffee shop could be your next employer. And nowhere is that more important than trying to break into an industry with the biggest, uh, you know, that's hardest to break into. Yeah. Yeah. So nothing, nothing beats that. And it's just where the action is is there's an energy when you're around and you see the billboards and the Hollywood sign and this, and I'm not saying you necessarily need that to create. Of course you don't, but it, it gives you a kick in the pants. And, you know, I, I drive by, I do not live far from uh, Warner brothers and I drive by that water tower a lot. What part of LA are you in again? I'm in the North Hollywood arts, North Hollywood, right? Yeah. Yeah. North Hollywood, which is a big area, but uh, I'm, in the direction, sort of an Eastern direction towards Burbank and studio city where a lot of the studios are in those two places. So for creatives listening to this, that are going to make this move, contemplating making this move. Are are there three bullets of advice you could give? Are there three bullets of expectations you you could give? I don't know which direction you want to take it, but that's, Sure. So I'd say starting place. So we'll start, we'll start here. I'll say, if you want to do it at the highest level, if you want to work on major motion pictures and television, you just have to be here and there's no getting around that. Mm -hmm. Maybe New York, but maybe New York for certain film or or for certain TV shows, Mm -hmm. even in Atlanta. And I know we talk about, or you talk about this, you know, the Southeast, and, and the creative field around there, even if they still hire the main talent. And by that, I mean, directors, producers, and lead cast and writers out of LA. Yeah. The studios are still here. The execs are still here. I've talked to a lot of people, uh, mostly actors who you, you had mentioned, do we come out here periodically, but we can make, you know, make birth somewhere else the most talented people will have meetings with high level execs or whoever, and they will end by going, well, this is great. Um, 
let me know when you move out here. Hmm. So if you want to do it at the highest level, then yeah, you, you got to be here. Okay. We'll, we'll start there. Um, I guess that we could call that bullet point number one and bullet point number two might be, I would recommend coming out here with some sort of resume, depending on, you know, if you're straight out of college or even high school uh, and you, and you've got a dream, then get out here and make it happen. You know, coming out here in your early twenties would, would be fun. It, how good, how, how good does the resume to look? Because back in my previous life, I saw marketing resumes and they were endlessly creative. They were so great. And in the film business, the resumes are so vanilla. They are literally like black ink on white paper with a bunch of bullets and listing out. It's all really tight, fine. Oh, interesting. And, and tight lines. I mean, is it worth it? It, it, it? I guess I got this sense over the seven years I've been doing this, that it must just not be worth it to put together this amazingly creative resume. Well, let of, me, it, like let me specify to put all your creative into your work, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I don't, that's very interesting. Um, I guess let me specify by resume. I mean, have, have work you've done. So yeah, as an I'll actor, have a real physically resumes. I will yeah. And if you want to work on a film set, that, you need one that are for like all the stuff they've been in and all the stuff they've done, but they just look lame. That's all. Oh, weird. Well, that's a good lesson. Creatives. You're creative. Make it look creative. Yeah. Like but, um, resume. yeah, if, if you want to make the jump, I'd say either come out here pretty early and, and start like so many people do with 13 bucks in your pocket and, and get a, PA job and work your way up. That's how most people do it. But if you're like me, I moved out here in my thirties. I'll put it this way. Someone, someone said, I think it was Bill Lawrence, the creator of Ted Lasso and scrubs. He goes, uh, he was talking about writers and he said, if you have finished a script, you are more of a writer than 80% of the people in Hollywood who call themselves writers. Amen. It's so hard to finish a story. Yeah. So if you have a completed until it isn't, by the way. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, yeah. 10,000 hours, baby. And yeah, cause I've got a lot of, a lot of colleagues and friends that pump out screenplays in three months. Yeah. Like and, uh, screenplays in, in six weeks. Like yeah. That's all they do every day in this boom, 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 boom. And you know, from my knowledge of the industry, I, if you become a working screenwriter, I think, and, and you pitch to execs and they say, all right, we're going to hire you. I think you have 10 weeks to give them a first draft is, is, you know, generally the, the timeline. So yeah, you got to get pretty fast, but remain very, very good. You got to stand out. Yeah. Um, and you have to have a decent amount of work, uh, in order to stand out, you got to be prolific. So, I mean, that would, I assume that would go for, you know, actors, you probably have, have to have a pretty good reel mm-hmm. directors, same, um, some good work, maybe a couple film festival awards, that, that sort of thing. And, you know, I'm not saying if you don't have those things, don't move out here, but that will immediately put you into at least the top 50, if not the top 25, 20% of people you will be competing against out here. 
There's a lot to dig into there. Yeah. I have two thoughts, which are the following. Um, one Snapchat, they have a patent on a VR feature and it's used for marketing by businesses. So for example, if you were to go into, let's say a street taco shop in California and open Snapchat, you might find that there is all of a sudden a filter for that taco shop waiting for you to click on it. Or you might find a virtual reality product that you can use with your camera or with your snap camera, I should say, where if you hover it over the menu, a taco pops up and starts telling you what's really good on the menu. (laughs) And I've always thought that this feature would be brilliant for creatives. One, if it weren't tied up in that application, but two, if it were less expensive. So I priced that out one time because we wanted a book to have VR in it. When you open snap, the characters would talk to you. They'd come to life, turn the page, stuff like that. Really cool stuff. Yeah. It was like low end six grand for one implementation and high end was 30 grand. Ooh, for one implementation, depending on how complex you want to be. So it's completely out of the realm of ordinary everyday creatives and totally meant for businesses to use for marketing that have million dollar marketing budgets and or multi-million dollar marketing budgets. So I, I immediately thought when you said a reel, basically like you need to have a reel. Mm-hmm. I just thought to myself, how cool would it be to be able to have a snap filter or VR placement of your performances or anything you're trying to show off anytime somebody opens snap, like how cool would that be? Cause the hardest thing for an actor to get someone to do is to click that link. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. To actually watch it. So you could usurp that whole thing. If you placed your VR kit inside of a known coffee shop that producers walk into. Kind of like the, uh, you know, when, when bands would put their, their signs up. Yeah. You know, except at, this is so much front, better, but this is the, the next iteration of that. Right. And this is the wild fucking West, by the way, like, pardon my French, but this is the wild West because there's no one that's going to stop you from putting a Matt Williams kit like at the register by those cookies that you dip in coffee at Starbucks. So they go there, they open Snapchat, they're on Snapchat and suddenly they look down and a miniature, like just like Justin Garino, the Dr. Pepper dude. Uh, I think that's his name from American Idol season two, where he little, little yeah, it's close to that. Yeah. Yeah. And it would be like a little Matt standing there saying, Hey, I'm Matt Williams. I'm a writer and here's what I've written. <laughs> and, then, and then they could see everything like right there in VR. It might be worth your 30 grand, Matt, but like, like that, yeah, I'll start to every, saving to every person that walks in. So I just thought, man, that would be a way to sort of overcome. Like that's crazy. Link, 
Yeah. But hey, I mean, you know, the prices are only going down on, on this stuff. That's just how technology yeah, I, works. You're right? right. It's been years since we've priced this. It could be Moore's law could have taken effect by now. And maybe just maybe it's much, much less. Maybe it is affordable now. And, you know, there's something that, that, you know, you can maybe implement or do that, that gives you an advantage because you, well, you, you said it yourself, you like the whole thing is you need to differentiate somehow. And yeah. the first step of differentiation is just finish your script. So now yep. you're in the top 20%. The second is have a good script. But the problem with that is, is you kind of need 1.5 step 1.5, which is get noticed while having, whilst having great script. Right. Right. Well, yeah. And, uh, yeah, you touch on some, or you do touch on something interesting and that is, is the getting noticed part. Yeah. Cause I think you, and it, and it brings back to what we were talking about is nothing beats a chance meeting. Mm-hmm. And it's just that we can, we can sum all this up in that, uh, what is it? Luck is preparation meeting opportunity. Yeah. So being discovered for your real, getting someone to click on that link, right. Or having someone actually open up a script and read it, the likelihood of that happening and them going, well, this person's a superstar. Where has this person (laughs) been is so low. It's basically zero. Yeah. But once you have that chance meeting, if you have that in your back pocket, if you have five pages, that'll get them. If you have a one minute link and you can just be like, Hey, uh, here, just watch this. It's so little of your time. Yeah. Chances are still about zero that they're going to open it, but <laughs> it's a little better. It's, it's a little better. Um, so yeah, it's, that's, that's what I like to focus on is when, you know, when someone's like, yeah, send me a script, bam, I've got it. I've got a couple ready to go. Yeah. Here's what I made of. That's huge. I think you have to have more than one. You have to show that you've dedicated your life to it. You got more than one thing to show. Almost same, same was true when I was in journalism, you had to have writing pieces, samples when you sent out your query letter, lots yeah, freelance writing. The other thing I was going to mention is that the industry is a meritocracy, almost like playing professional sports. Professional sports, we accept the fact that it's not fair. We do get mad when certain players get traded or cut that we loved, mostly because we just spent two hundred dollars on the jersey. But and once we get past, <laughs> once we and get we're past, betting on it, damn it. Yeah, once we get past that pain, then it's kind of like, hey, that person didn't deserve that. They were better than that. But somewhere we get over it because we know that if they were good enough they would have stayed on the team and good enough. Isn't just talent. Cause if you think about the pain in the ass that Antonio Brown is, or that T.O. was uh, in football or the pain in the ass that Kyrie Irving is right now in basketball, people have to ask the question, like, is it worth the headache? Tim Tebow was the sweetest person in the world, but he was a media circus. 
Right. And teams literally wouldn't sign them because they didn't want the circus in town. They right. don't want their team distracted because here's this guy who seems to be praying his way to victories because he doesn't have the talent. <laughs> so how's he winning? And then, and the real truth about him, by the way, is a quick tangent sidebar is he was does oh. have something special. He was able to inspire people to play beyond or at the very peak of their abilities, almost better than coaches because the coaches are cynical. They've been in there a long time. They're like, just go out there and play. You're a pro. And here's Tim getting on one knee saying, we're going to do this. And people believed him and they followed hard. And you saw it that year in Denver, like they had no business beating the Steelers in the playoffs a year. So I always look at Tim Tebow as something that would have been very interesting to see in the league. Had it not been such a meritocracy of, Hey, come in, do your job, do it well. And don't be a distraction. Well, don't be a distraction is a, is a key. And we can touch on that once you have have made your point here too, because don't be an asshole is a, big part of getting work. (laughs) I was literally going there. Oh, okay. Sorry. (laughs) No one is an exception. So yes, it's hard. Like you said, to make it, are people going to see your thing? Are they going to say, Oh, that's a star in the making. Like they did with Justin Bieber when they saw him on YouTube. First, you have to find, they have to find you even to say that. So, so the odds are low, but even big stars get, they're not above this rule. And one example would be Army Hammer, who had accusations of not just sexual assault, but like weird sexual assault. Yeah, weird kinks. Weird kinks. Creepy. And it is funny that we would judge him beyond the assault part. But anyway, considering everyone else's kinks are, you're not allowed to talk about that. But. <laughs> There were, there were reports recently that he works right now in the Cayman Islands, where his kids are and his ex-wife is, as a timeshare salesperson at a kiosk. No. Yes. No way. He works in a hotel at a kiosk selling timeshare. Army Hammer from the social network, from Call Me By, by Your Name. I think that's the, I think that's the name. Call me by your name. Yeah. That army hammer. No army hammer. Grandson of the oil tycoon Armand hammer. So he doesn't, uh, is this a choice? Does he not have money to live on? Apparently he's not on the family payroll. You know, they're maybe teaching him a lesson. I don't, I don't know. I mean, shoot, he he doesn't, he didn't invest well either. If he's not living off social network money. Nope. They say, you know, probably settlements. Uh, yeah, lawyers is expensive. Lawyers, settlements. You know, he didn't have any leverage because he got blindsided by it. And he was just trying to hold on to his work. He had three major budget feature films in the works that he lost all of. He lost all of them, he got fired from all of them. And so here's Army Hammer living on top of the world. And just like that, kiosk selling timeshares, the most annoying sales pitch of all time. <laughs> yeah. Fair. Is that fair to say? 
Yeah. If there's a section, I don't know if you've ever been to Sayulita, Mexico, but there's a place <laughs> as soon as you walk off of the plane and to the outside where you have to literally put your head down, like you're getting assaulted by paparazzi and go past yeah. these people. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, that's, well, that's, that's every island you go to. Like you are, you're basically salmon swimming upstream to jump into a bear's mouth. that's what you are when you land and get off a plane at any island in the caribbean like they are selling you car rides to your hotel excursions hold my parrot and take a polaroid picture hey i was in the social network would you like my autograph like yeah yeah it's (laughs) exactly exactly it's it's yeah, it's bonkers. It's but, that, that's a tough one, but, but that's think, a big fall. I think the toughest one about timeshare is that they don't let you leave. Like once you say no, they say okay, and then you think you're going to the exit, and instead you go to another room where you're trapped and pitched at again. And you're like, oh my god! Oh, I've never had that wanted, happen to me. Actually, all I wanted was the free gift. Yeah, <laughs> you promised me a free gift, and now I'm here. Been, I've been here three hours. How many timeshares do you have just ballpark, Chris? Oh, zero. <laughs> zero. Lots of properties, no timeshares. That's yeah. my that's that's my truth. Um, although there is a chance I could inherit one, A, and then B, I have stayed in one, and C, there is a part of them that is intriguing, but I think that there's better ways to do it today. Like I think there's a right way to do it. Right. Cause yeah, it's not, it, it's not a scumbaggy thing in and of itself. No. Well, I, it's not scumbaggy. I think it, except for that pitch, the way they do it, they need to stop doing that. But the business is the business, but it's not the investment opportunity that they pitch you. So in that way, there is some misdirection there. There is some head faking in there. That's all. Right. To me, the gig economy has swallowed up that business and the importance of it because you could buy a property and turn it into a Verbo or Airbnb and kind of enjoy the same benefits of a timeshare. Currently doing it. Like, exactly. There are tons of people that buy property in 30A in Florida and the surrounding area just to rent it out and they make tons of money a year. And anytime they want to stay there, they can go stay there just like it's their timeshare. They can just simply block it. They have all the control in the world. So to me, timeshares are on their heels. They're on the clock, Matt. All right. (laughs) Get out now army. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Hopefully army will do. I don't know. I don't like to judge before I know the facts or like in this case, I don't know the facts. I don't know what's going on. And so I'm reserving judgment on it. And if he's innocent and, or if he can make restitution, he's a fine actor. And I hope he recovers and gets back to doing what he loves to do. And he seems like he really loves his kids and, and even his ex-wife. So, you know, hopefully I, I, I'm not a cynical guy. I hope people land on their feet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, um, 
You know, you know, you mentioned something earlier that stuck out too. And I just want to mention it quickly. You talked about, you said something happened in 2020. This is a really far call back to when you were joking about COVID. Yeah, I just didn't want to say it. <laughs> and it really is <laughs> yeah, it really is funny that you say it that way too, because here in 2022, you would think that COVID was never a thing. No one talks about it. You hear more about monkeypox. Now it's monkeypox, yeah. You hear more about just so many other things, whether it be the economy or Biden or the Trump nightmare that will never end, all this stuff. But you rarely hear about COVID or it gets mentioned probably as a couplet or as a set along with Anthony Fauci and how much you love him or hate him or the vaccines and how much you love him and hate him, but almost never as like a standalone anymore. And it speaks to the power of media. Like when the media wants you to know something, you're going to freaking know it. And when they don't want you to care about it, they just don't, they simply make it irrelevant. And then it becomes irrelevant to you. And the power of this cannot be understated because I remember asking my oldest kid who's 22, how many, like what percentage of COVID cases do you think result in death? And this was like maybe at the end of 2020 towards the end of 2020. And she said, I don't know, 35%. (laughs) Yeah. I said, what if I told you it was 1% or less? That's what it really is. Yeah. She goes, you know, crazy. she's like, with like 50% of the nation in believing that though. Exactly. And it's yeah. all the power of the media. And it reminds me of that South Park episode. I don't know if you watch South Park, Matt, but it, I think it's brilliant. It reminds me of the South Park episode where the, where the kids on South Park had to deal with the Comcast slash Xfinity customer service rep and that customer service rep knew that that he has his clients over a barrel so he's just kind of sitting back rubbing his nipples as he's like <laughs> telling them what he's not going to do and why they can't cancel the contract or why they can't get the channel they want. <laughs> and i almost feel like the media is like that when they write articles they just sit back rubbing their nipples and they're like <laughs> look at the power we have like like we can make these guys think and do whatever we want and Honestly, I would add social media to that social media for a creative is this weird double-edged sword because there's no greater comparison tool that's ever existed in the history of mankind. Oh, comparison comparison. tool. That's a, that's an interesting way to put that. Yeah. And comparison will make you freaking depressed. Do you have any, like, have you heard anything about, creatives on social media and what their like current take is on whether they use it a lot, whether it's necessary, unnecessary taking breaks, depression, anything like that. Well, there's a couple of news articles that just came out about famous, a uh, couple famous people. Uh, well, Tom Holland was the big one. Um, yeah. he just announced that he was, uh, taking a break from social media for his mental health and he's not really? the only one. Yeah. Um, he didn't elaborate much. Actually, I mean, he elaborated a little, he said, uh, you know, I, I, I spin out when I read comments and stuff about me and, uh, what do you mean spin out? Yeah, he didn't, I don't think I'm trying to remember his, uh, video that he put out just 
just going off memory here. Um, my, so I don't, I don't want to misquote him or misrepresent him, but my yeah. take was, I don't know how many tens of millions of followers he has, but he's Spider-Man. He's right. dating Zendaya. Yeah. So you got to understand that I don't, at least 50% of what he's getting is negative, if not dangerous, if not just brutal, you know, and, 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 you know, people hate him for being British and Spider-Man. And right. I, I mean, it could be, it could be anything. There's no end to how cruel people will be to celebrities um, and people with that kind of platform. So yeah, I don't know what he's going through specifically, but you can say, don't read the comments or the reviews or, you know, whatever, but if it's there, it's really, that's really hard to do. And I just, I, I bet you can become obsessed with it. First yeah. of all, even if it's all positive, he may be yeah. taking a break for his mental health because he was addicted to the positive feedback that social media gave him. Maybe he was addicted <laughs> to the likes, you know what I mean? Uh, there's, well, there uh, is something to that. There's like, evidence that there's this, uh, a dopamine hit when you see a like. Well, of course, yeah, there is. There's, it's it's the same effect we talked about gambling earlier. It's like the gambling same exact thing when they when they pull a slot machine. Yep. It's like the slot machine effect. But also, I was thinking about this the other day. The thing you think you want so much, if you actually imagine getting it to the degree that you couldn't control it, like it was overwhelming, like mountains of the stuff you want, it would actually make you go crazy. It'd make you terrified and you'd be depressed. Like you think you want, let's say a lot of sexual attention, Mm -hmm. but what if you got sexual attention from everybody like Tom Holland probably does. Mm -hmm. That means every type of person. Mm Mm-hmm. That can get weird. And then all ages, appropriate and inappropriate. Yeah. And you're constantly feeling like you're being entrapped. And it almost feels like a Hobbesian trap. You know Hobbesian? No, what's Hobbesian? Thomas Hobbes. And so it was named for Thomas Hobbes, but Hobbesian. A Hobbesian trap is like basically when something violent happens because both sides are afraid the other side is going to make a move. Oh, okay. And so it's like an explanation for why wars break out, even though like no declaration of war has happened or nothing weird has happened. Like no, no one's broken any rules, but somebody will get into a Hobbesian trap and say, they're going to do it any second. We have to preemptively strike. Right. So anytime you see a preemptive strike that was unwarranted, that group country person was put into a Hobbesian trap. Gotcha. And so it's like, you see Britney Spears shave her head. You see, uh, Justin Bieber kind of lose it for a year or two and become like a knucklehead. But that was how the media was portraying him. Mm-hmm. The reality is, is he probably wasn't a knucklehead. He's probably just tired of the shit. Like, yeah, he was preemptively striking. Like, to say nothing Move of out he of my was way. like, I'm getting 20. in my car. Like, like, I don't care how I come off. Mm-hmm. Like, stop messing with me. Yeah. I would go crazy. Yeah. Living in a so, fishbowl like that. Yeah. Yeah. You're really, that's a great way to put it. Like you're in a fishbowl. So 
So at some point you preemptively strike because you, you have enough experience to know that if you don't, maybe somebody else will do something weird. Like female stars, they deal with weird stuff. Stalkers. I have female friends who deal with weird stuff because they're yeah. hot. They're not even celebrities. Yeah. And the shit that I hear them talk about is creepy and uh, stalkery in some places. And I'm like, now I'm multiply your follower count by a million. Yeah. And then yeah. can cannot even picture it. Right. But the problem is, is that if you're an independent creative and if you're listening to this podcast and you're trying to make a name for yourself, make a career, you really need social media. It's a really important tool or so we're told. I've heard casting directors say it's a hard truth, but if all things are equal, we will cast the person with more followers. More followers, yeah. Yet we know it's, it's almost like drinking a Coke. We know that it's poison, but it still tastes great with a burger. <laughs> like, like we're willing to accept. So it feels like independent creators are, are in this catch 22, Matt. Catch 22, meaning it's bad for us and it's bad for our mental health, but necessary. But yeah, but yeah, if we want to work, like I'm not judging Tom Holland whatsoever. And I never would. I just watched his movie uncharted, which was just okay. But I think they were setting up for a sequel. It's a video game, but he's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's based on a video game. If he was good in it, by the way, and I'm not judging them, but it's easy to quit social media when you're already Tom Holland. Right. That's not a choice that you can make. That's not a choice that I can make necessarily. Well, it's different because I'm kind of behind the curtain, but that's not a choice this podcast can make. There you go. Yeah. Right. It's not a choice that most people listening to this podcast can make. So what's the solution? Like, I don't know. How are you managing it? How are you thinking about it? Being in LA, talking to people every day that are in the industry. What are, what are their feelings on it? Or is it just go do it and deal with it, bitch kind of thing? Yeah. Well, if, first of all, if I could answer your question, this would be the most popular podcast episode ever. And, uh, we could retire. Uh, <laughs> what do we do? What's the solution? Um, yeah. And in LA, I, you know, L- LA is exactly what you think it is. I, I feel like this, this conversation could take any number of directions. I have met a number of people. I went to a big party on uh, Friday, uh, up in the Hills, and you know, live band. Oh yeah, live band celebrities, couple billionaires there. I was a uh, plus one of a plus one. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think I'm a big shot yet, but I was a plus one of a plus one. Um, which says a lot about Hollywood parties is that they let me in. But right. I met three people who I said, "What do you? I you know, what do, what do you do?" And they all said, "Well, I'm an actor, but." I've been, I, I've been focusing on and making money being an influencer. And 
and they don't get numbers by the way, they get Instagram handles. So you, they go, what? And I think the kids nowadays are getting Snapchat. They don't even bother with Instagram anymore, but, but these, these guys were like, uh, what's, you know, here's my Instagram, look it up. And I'm looking at, you know, tens, if not hundreds of thousands of followers for a couple of these people. And I have no idea who they are, but, um, that's a whole nother topic that you can have a niche of, you know, followers. And I still don't know who you are, but, um, but the, the point is they said, well, I like moved out here to be an actor. One girl was even on a show that people have heard of. Um, and, uh, she's like, but I make money doing influencing stuff. One guy was on Peaky Blinders and nice. he goes, our mutual friend McConnell loves that show. Uh, I it's on my list. I just haven't gotten there yet, but it's supposed to be absolutely phenomenal. And he goes, I make most of my money and, you know, have most of my notoriety through social media and stuff. So it's almost like, like with brands, you mean? Yeah, I think so. It's gotta be right. That's the only way, you know, with a lot of followers. Um, yeah. Sponsorships and things like that. Brand endorsements. And, um, it's sort of, I, I don't know. It's, it's a catch 22, but it's almost like these worlds have just integrated in such a way that they're almost indistinguishable. Now you're no longer just an actor or whatever. You're a content creator. Yeah. And look, I deeply believe in that. I know you do. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of what, you know, this whole thing is right. Yeah, we call it what well, we call it the fifth wave. It's like a, the time where creators are going to. Well, two things happen in the fifth wave that aren't happening now. One is that we believe in the fifth wave, about 30% of the total population will need to make content to pay their bills. The will need to or choose to? Will need to. In Interesting. The next 10 years. Interesting. Okay. Whereas right now, they just choose to. Gotcha. And those who are learning it now will be ahead of the game. The second thing that will happen is that technology and Moore's law will have evolved to the point where these top 2% content creators will wake up one day and say, why am I sharing all my profit and energy with YouTube? I could just make my own platform and my fans will follow me there. You have enough fans and I can keep all. Yeah. Like the top 2%. Yeah. So Mr. Beast right now shares an enormous amount of his earning potential with Google. Sure. Why? One day he'll wake up. Well, the reason why is he has incredibly large obstacles against him, right? Like, like the technology to build his own platform and to put his stuff out the way he puts it out and to distribute it the way he distributes it now is very, very expensive. But we think in the next 10 years, maybe 15 that technology, unless there's some bad actor that gets in the way will become so affordable and so no codish, you know, that you can just make your own platform simply inform your fan base. That's what you're doing. And all you need is 20% to bring, to carry over because 20% of your fans are the ones that are commenting and paying you. And 80% are just kind of watching your stuff anyway. So there's only 20% that are really keeping you afloat. But if you're Mr. Beast, 20% of a hundred million is a lot of people. And you can kind of see inklings of this happening because 
TikTok is slowly creeping into YouTube sort of format and space. Instagram's doing the same thing along with Facebook, Meta, et cetera. And you're seeing competitors come up for the first time in a really long time. You know, Vimeo was there for a while. They found their niche and realized they couldn't compete with YouTube doing the same thing they were doing. But Rumble didn't get the memo. And so here comes yeah. Rumble and Rumble is, has, is seizing this opportunity of, okay, we're going to take all the creators to start off with phase one. We're going to take all the creators that YouTube has banned. All the channels they shut down. You're welcome here. Hmm. Free speech here, you know, come, come to rumble. And that's probably their phase one approach. I don't know what their phase two approach is. Of course, they're trying to kill a giant. Killing a giant is hard because giants are big, but beating a giant is possible because a giant is slow. Right. Yeah, well, David look at why well, because he's agile. You, you have said this, I will credit you with this, but what are we talking on right now? Not Skype. Yeah. Not Skype. Cause <laughs> we tried Skype for years. Skype would crash constantly. You had no way to get temporary files. So if it crashed, your conversation was just lost. Oh shit. And, yeah. and there are a few guests on the podcast early that you've heard conversations with where that was the second conversation or the third. I was one of them. Yeah. You remember that actually yeah, yeah. my first interview on the podcast, we didn't make it through the whole interview first, but uh, Skype was kind of failing us. So we, right. We started over. Yep. Yep. It was crazy. And, and they didn't see zoom coming. Yeah. Zoom has been a, a, a godsend. And to this day, there still is, there is live streaming that's designed for it. And there are a lot of apps like clubhouse and, and, uh, fire, uh, fireside or fire chat, I believe I thought clubhouse failed. Uh, wisdom. No clubhouse still around. Oh, okay. Uh, there's a million conversations going on right now. Uh, there's, there's a uh, call in the call in app. All those apps are designed even down to Instagram live and all the live stuff on social that's designed to, for podcasters a little bit and, and content creators, but there really isn't a standalone app designed for recording podcasts specifically. And I think it's a huge market miss like zoom. We're using zoom, but zoom is designed for businesses. Right. Teams is designed for businesses, Slack and Skype for business. There is no app that said we are going to build a video chat product that is only for podcasters and will be chock full of features that only podcasters need. That's what I find remarkable right now is that all these products exist that all do similar things, but they, they, they fail to sort of meet the 100% needs of, of podcasters. So uh bonsai creative is <laughs> set to launch the new software. Yeah, well, we'll see. We we would need so many uh, technical people to do that. You're right. Uh, beyond beyond our skill set right now. Right now, we're focused on bringing branding and marketing to independent film in a way that no one's ever done it before. So, you know, if you want to hear that journey, you can go to www.bonsai.film. If you want to follow our progress there, if you want to continue to follow the journey of this podcast which is amazing. 
Uh, we, we, we love you for that. It means the world to us. Keep doing that. You can reach out to us at contact at bonsai.film. If you have a question directly for me, you can find me. I like Twitter. I'm flaming your heart on Twitter. You're a spell to you are, but you can also hit me up on Instagram at underscore bonsai creative or bonsai Nick and Chris. Either of those are fine. Matt, you're at Matt Williams Inc. on Instagram, right? Matt Williams Inc. I N K. I N K. Yeah. And they can people can email you directly if they have questions about moving to LA or other questions at Matt at bonsai.film. So really simple way to get in touch with us. Um, Matt, this has been an absolute blast, man. I can't thank you enough for filling in for Nick. Yeah, love it, bro. Anytime. Keep going on vacation, Nick. You deserve it. That's right. He does deserve (laughs) it. He's he's in the this is a little inside baseball, just to end us and wrap us on this. But he is in, and I don't want to make his ego gigantic. He's a fairly humble guy anyway. But he is in the top three people I've been around for output. So there are certain people who can output like incredible amounts of work in a short period of time. He's one of them. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. Like that's valuable. Yeah. Yeah. The only danger in that is that you don't work on it a lot. Maybe I'm not saying Nick does this, but I've known some of these people have this great output. They're like, well, I only need to do it once a, once a week or twice a week or once a month. Cause I'm, I can get it all done. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I have a, I have a friend actually, me and Nick have a mutual friend that when he gains weight, he'll just go to the gym for one whole day and run and never get off the treadmill. Now he's not married. <laughs> so he's able to do this, but he will run, he'll run all day. He'll get, he'll get like three weeks of calories burned in one session. Is that, that doesn't even seem healthy. Well, I guess that's your point. That's your, of that's your point. It's not. That is my point. Yeah. So craziness. Uh, let me give you some more information to those listening before we get out of here. Our newsletter is just popping off. People love it. And that's all thanks to word of mouth. That's all thanks to the team building the newsletter and to, to you guys listening. You can subscribe to it. It's free at bonsai.film forward slash newsletter. Again, that's bonsai.film forward slash newsletter. Join the newsletter that is designed and made for, and well, I should say designed by and made for independent creatives specifically, you will not regret it one bit. And again, the website is www.bonsai.film for everything. Bonsai, Apple, Spotify, rate us five stars if you love it. And of course that always means the world to us. And Matt, since you may not know the credo, I will give the credo to sign us off. And that goes a little something like this. Be better. Be creative. Be engaged. And thank you for listening. Matt, talk gives to me you chills. Soon. Gives me chills. Yes, sir. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Aloha. That also means goodbye. <laughs> Aloha, Matt. <laughs> and here's and here's the little pinky and thumb for you. Yep. <laughs> Talk to you, bro. Be good. All right, man. Thank you. Appreciate you. Peace. You too. Bye. Bye. Hey, gang. One more thing before you go. I want to talk to you about 
Indie Insights. Indie Insights is our bi-weekly newsletter and love note to the film industry, movies, and the creatives that make them, not to mention you, our esteemed listeners. Inside, you'll find curated industry trends, articles, exclusive commentary, and underappreciated films from filmmakers like you worldwide. And the best part is that it's completely free. So join today at www.bonsai.film. It just takes a few seconds. And once you sign up, you'll get the very next newsletter. It's that simple. Go to www.bonsai.film to get Indie Insights, our bi-weekly newsletter, and join a network of film creatives like yourself. And don't worry, we'll never sell your information or spam you with a bunch of nonsense emails. Just the bi-weekly film industry goodness you need. And if you ever tire of Indie Insights, we hope not. But if you do, simply unsubscribe. No gimmicks, no games. So, one more time, go to www.bonsai.film to get Indie Insights for free. And thank you for listening.